I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, nothing says day one of the Australian Open like an Arctic blizzard. That is what David Law woke up to at 4.30am this morning. What on earth were you thinking, David, when you walked to work for day one of the Aussie Open, the Happy Slam in an Arctic (laughs) blizzard? And how did it, how does it compare to how you're feeling now after day one? Well, I feel I, I feel great now. I feel a bit weird, you know, because it's two, three in the afternoon, and I really do feel quite ready for bed. Um, and it's beautifully sunny outside now. Um, but uh, and the day has been great, so I've really enjoyed it. But the, you're right. When I walked out the, the hotel door at five thirty a.m. and it was pitch dark and a blizzard, it did it did amuse me just the ridiculousness of the difference between where I am and where they are actually playing the tennis that I am describing. Don't know why you're getting up at four thirty if you're not commencing your commute until five thirty. You need to get that routine down to ten minutes. Mm, yeah, mm. I know from experience that you have become an expert mm-hmm. at that, uh, but. You wouldn't get to watch the hour's worth of tennis and catch up on all the tennis podcast Twitter that I got Ah, to catch up on, see? Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Matt, we were awake at 4.30. You have had a very weird body clock situation. Start as you mean to go on. How are you feeling? (laughs) How was your night and morning? Yeah, I mean, this is a little bit of a throwback for me, really, because up until two years ago, this was how I used to follow the Australian Open, being, being up through the night and yes, I, I intended to watch just a couple of hours from midnight, ended up watching about six hours from midnight. So my body clock is a little bit all over the place. Um, but as as weird an experience it was on the first day, it was also a classic Grand Slam day, wasn't it? There was There was so much going on, so many good stories and a classic Australian Open situation with it ending at, I think, one o'clock in the morning, Melbourne time. Uh, so for all those reasons, it was, it was kind of familiar and perfect. Yeah, it was a, it was a really, really exhilarating day of tennis, I thought. Yeah, I had a really strange sense of nostalgic familiarity as well. My FOMO was somewhat eased by the fact that I was having flashbacks of kind of being 17, 18 in sixth form and 
being late to school because I was at home watching the Australian Open and knowing that I was going to be late for Mr. Barr's English class and knowing I'd be <laughs> able to talk talk my way out of it because Mr. Barr was, well, a bit of a mess. <laughs> and because and, you can talk your way out of things. <laughs> I think he he was sort of one of the only teachers that was quite supportive <laughs> of um, me sacrificing schooling for uh, for sport. Um, yeah, I had a weird sort of nostalgic feeling about that. I, I don't know whether that will last the fortnight, um, but it was uh, it was a nice antidote to the FOMO that I was kind of expecting to be overwhelmed by today. A uh, bit of housekeeping before we get into it all. Crumble is back. She had such a great time uh, yeah. as our Australian Open mascot last year that she is back for the two-peat. Go on, Crumble. It's not. It's not a word. Crumble. You have to come back next year in order that we can say three peat because two pit does two peat does not a work. Um, <laughs> but we're very pleased to have you back. Crumble produces excellent um, content, so we'll be settling in Ch- and expecting some of that. She has her own channel, doesn't she? She has her own channel. I think. So let's much get content. Ready. Let's get ready for Crumble, which is you know excellent um other bits of housekeeping we have a whole team a whole little army of tennis podcasters working on the tournament this fortnight uh it's not just myself and matt and david david's obviously uh, also working for bbc radio five live this fortnight uh, we've also got uh, a couple of people helping us with our twitter feed we have american andrew hello andrew uh, and we have Not American Hannah. Hello, Hannah. Hannah Wilkes of Being Excellent on Twitter fame uh, is helping us out over the next um, fortnight with Twitter coverage of the night sessions. Andrew, being American, is is doing the overnights or the day sessions, Australia time. So welcome to the team. Patrick's going to be editing for us for this fortnight. And it is because of the Kickstarter that we're able to um, deploy a little army and we're very pleased to be able to do so and um we think it'll enhance our offering as oh, one yeah. might say and i mean it already is if you haven't yes. been following tennis podcast twitter today then go and sit down and just scroll through it because andrew is is great hannah is great they are funny well-informed smart people and they do Twitter a lot better than I do. So I've I've very much been enjoying just sitting back and watching them get on with it. So, yeah, can highly recommend. Yes, our deployment of Hannah and Andrew is in absolutely no way um, anything to do with, with Matt's abilities on Twitter. Matt is excellent on Twitter, but uh, we need to free up his time to do other things, like the newsletter. If you're not subscribed to the newsletter, what are you playing at? Even my mum is subscribed now after... <laughs> complaining that my dad was getting it and she wasn't. Um, they're daily during the slams. They feature predictions uh, and they feature a daily match stat as well as all sorts of other stuff. And um, honestly, we work very hard to make sure that they really add value to what we do. So, um, yeah, get yourself get yourself on board. The link will be in the show notes. Now, day one of the Australian Open 2021 I had all the intention in the world of doing this chronologically, starting with Naomi Osaka, the first winner, <laughs> the first winner of the day at the Aussie Open, the last woman to, to win a Grand Slam, obviously the US Open. And then Denis Shapovalov and Yannick Sinner happened and kind of turned all of my 
podcasting, presenting plans on their head. So we're actually going to go kind of reverse chronologically and see where that takes us. Because, David, I feel like we should capitalise on the the buzz that you're currently experiencing having just finished commentating on Denis Shapovalov against Yannick Sinner. Now, it's not just a buzz because it was a truly splendid match and the best possible way to kick off the tournament, but also because you, you got a prediction right. Oh, yes, thank you. Shapovalov won three six six three six two four six six four. Take it away, that. bask in all of it, David. Yeah, Off well, you go. There you go. Yeah. I, I, first of all, how nice to see the match that we all gawped at when the draw was being made become what we hoped it would, which is a classic, a real. I mean, okay, they didn't always play well at the same time. But the, the ebbs and flows of it were a joy. They were the five-set format at its best. Um, and, yeah, I mean, from a personal perspective, the match did play out as I kind of thought it would in terms of why I went for the prediction that I did, in that he outlasted him. Uh, Yannick Sinner was just out on his feet at the end. I felt really sorry for him. And yet I was hugely impressed with how, despite the fact that he was clearly out on his feet – he didn't give up. He kept on fighting and he was not far away from turning it around even in that latter stage of the fifth set, even when Shapovalov was serving for it. He had his chances. Um, the, the, the interesting thing is that for, a, for the first set, when it was just about tennis, Sinner was comfortably the better. Now, I know that maybe Shapovalov might, be, might say, I didn't play as well as I could in that set. Probably didn't. But Sinner was phew, pretty unplayable. Because he has really no weakness that I can see. He, certainly from the baseline anyway, he moves like a cat. He's always perfectly balanced. Anki Othorong in our country box made the point that because he's a skier uh, from a skiing resort, he seems to have the balance of a skier when he's pulled out wide and when he's having to lunge and, and he's always in position. And he seems to have brutal power on both sides of of his ground stroke game. And that's from a, a guy who is still very boyish. He's 19 and he looks young. You know, he's he's physically going to fill out more, I think. Um, he looks and, young facially and physically, but the way he holds himself and his demeanour is very precocious, I think. Actually, yeah. He reminds me, and I'm not just saying this because they're both ginger, he reminds me of the lead character in um, The Queen's Gambit. Haven't seen it, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> but Matt is nodding. <laughs> yes, I've seen the Queen's Gambit. Yes. Do you know what I mean? That kind of icy cold yes. precociousness. Yes, and that look in their but, eye that they know something that you don't. Yeah, steely. <laughs> That's a great yeah. line. Yeah. That's exactly what Sinner comes across like. He, he, it is as though he's had, although he's 19, he's had another life and he knows all about this. Um, and he, uh, But what I loved about it was the way... Shapovalov didn't panic and didn't go away and and really showed the extremes of his game, not just in shot making, not just in sort of trying to hit blinding winners that that end up on tennis TV gifts, but using his left-handedness to drag his opponent around side to side, off the serve, get him out of court, then open up the space and also come to the net. This was much more like the Denis Shapovalov that used to come to the net as a junior a lot. Maybe it's no coincidence that his mother was the coach courtside on her own who always used to 
teach him to play that way. And I feel like in recent years, he's or recent 18 months or whatever, he's gone away from going to the net as much because I think, frankly, he wasn't a good enough volleyer. In this match, I think that aside from fatigue, the net game of Shapovalov was the difference between the two because he's, he, his tactic was to use the, the, net, the net game and he came in twice as many times as Sinner. Sinner still looks like he goes to the net just to try to finish off a point that he's already won pretty much. Yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised by Shapovalov's willingness to make it that kind of match and his use of strategy because my disappointment with Shapovalov over the past few years where I, I've sort of felt like he hasn't developed in the way that I've wanted him to um, after all that excitement that that I and so many other people felt about him a few years ago is because I sometimes feel like he just there's no strategy out there it's Mm. just the strategy is make the highlights real the strategy is is just shot making there is very little sort of point construction or plan seemingly and I and I didn't think he would be prepared to compromise himself in the way that was required to to get the upper hand in that match which was to make it physical to make it a grind because that is so not his MO. And, you know, as much as I'm fantastically excited about Sinner and as Hannah said on our Twitter feed, certified next big thing, Yannick Sinner. (laughs) Yeah, all those other next big things that we've been saying are the next big thing, they are not certified. Yannick Sinner is certified next big thing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and hey, I had abandoned Shapovalov and certified Yannick Sinner as my next big thing. But he did something today that I I had doubted whether he would do. And I'm I'm pleased to have seen that. Yeah, I was I was similarly impressed with both players, um, for all sorts of reasons. Just as you said, David, the way Sinner navigated the ebbs and flows of that five set match with his energy levels. It, it's something we've seen Novak Djokovic do so many times. He kept getting these these second, third, fourth wins, as Hannah said on Twitter. And I've always felt like it takes great experience to know how to do that. But Sinner is such such a wise head. Um, and I think those instincts have probably been sharpened. He's, over the last few weeks, he's given probably too much credit to Nadal. But he spent two weeks practicing with Nadal, picking the brains of Nadal. And the way he hung about in that fifth set and never gave up were the sort of qualities that we're used to seeing from Nadal. And, you know, I think Sinner's got that inbuilt in him anyway, but that's probably something that he has learned and improved on over this over this last month. Um, Shapovalov impressed me because I think mentally that's quite a difficult match for Shapovalov against someone younger than him you know it, it's that whole new kid in town song it's 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 the eagles everyone loves you so don't let them down you're great until someone new comes along that was that was kind these of these are not lyrics from drip or night train <laughs> <laughs> but i just think that must be tough for Shapovalov he doesn't play people younger than him he wasn't even the crowd favorite i didn't think on that on that court he was he was coming up with some fantastic shots which which the crowd love and he can inspire a crowd but it felt like most of them were pulling for sinner in there and he he handled all that mentally so well and he understood the ebbs and flows of that match he was being outplayed at the start and yet he hung in there in that second set and he lost that fourth set and he knuckled down and 
didn't lose himself in that fifth set. And then, the, as you said, the tactical awareness to really swing that serve out wide and follow it into the net because Sinner had started moving way back behind the baseline, hadn't he? And that had worked for him in the fourth set on return. And then Shapovalov figured out a strategy to counter that. There was some there was some really interesting tactical nous, I thought, in the match as well. And, of course, the way they hit their ground strokes is is thrilling to watch. And, yeah, I I really hope we we get to see more matches between them because they match up really, really well against each other. And more matches with that kind of atmos at this Australian Open because, honestly, ov- overnight... I was concerned about the crowds and the atmosphere, very concerned. It was, I mean, it was disappointing. We were all interested to see how different it would be from from last week and the the Melbourne Summer Series warm-up events. We'd kind of been reassured. Those hadn't had much publicity. The AO has. That will have, you know crowds as, as as full as they're allowed to be well they they definitely weren't overnight for the overnight UK time for the day session um on Rod Laver Arena though for that Shapovalov cinema match okay not full not allowed to be full but it felt like the atmosphere it deserved crucially and I felt I felt very emotional about it actually I felt mm. exhilarated and actually really soothed by yeah. hearing that crowd, I actually, I, I, despite the excitement of it, I sort of dozed off for a bit in that third set because I just felt so comforted by the the sights and sounds of that crowd. I, I, it was like a sort of lullaby. Reminded that you don't need that many people to make an atmosphere, and reminded me of Roland Garros and Fiona Ferro, for instance, and those sort of matches so yeah i i felt the same it was exhilarating great to commentate with as well because you could finish what were so many rallies on blinding winners and reach what you do in radio commentary which is the crescendo and have the exclamation mark of the crowd to come in behind you which is what you want and um yeah it was it was a really uplifting match and what a way to start the tournament uh he now faces bernard tomic in that match, and I have a feeling that Shapovalov will be the crowd favourite there, uh, because in the on-court interview think. after the match, uh, Shapovalov was very in, in, innocently asked about that his next match up against uh, the Aussie Tomic, um, and the mere mention of him elicited boos from the crowd, and then and then Shapovalov very innocently delivered uh, a line about Tomic. What did he say? He said, Bernard oh, is no joke. He said, Bernard is no joke. And of course, he was talking about the tennis. And then everyone Everybody started, laughed. everyone laughed. Um, so, yeah, that, <laughs> that could be a bit awkward. I mean, that, the, the thing is, uh, look, I know Bernard has had a checkered hic- history of his own anyway, but those images of his girlfriend talking about never washing her own hair and what a, a disaster it was that she was going to have to in quarantine – they would have. I reckon they would have massively wound up the people that live here. I would be. I, I found it funny because it's so stupid. Um, but if you are compromising your entire life in order to, to 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 not have to be in lockdown and to to have kept the virus at bay, and you you hear in that people people don't want to hear it. Mm. Um, I think around here, so I'm not surprised. 
We'll stay with the men's side of things, given that is where we started. While uh, Shapovalov and Sinner were thrashing it out, or certainly during the early stages of that, Novak Djokovic was winning his 31st, 32nd and 33rd sets in a row against Jeremy Shardy. Motion to never have those two drawn to face one another again. I mean, Djokovic would definitely veto that motion, but I think the rest of the tennis world, I mean, it's just put the name on the draw sheet straight away. I mean, how on earth do you walk onto court against somebody that you've lost 33 sets in a row against? I'll be honest, I didn't see a ball of that match because while that while that was going on, I was trying to find a stat to find out whether anyone had ever won more sets in a row against a single opponent. Of course you were. And it, to be honest, <laughs> it took me the length of the match to find one. And then I came across Steffi Graf versus Natalie Tozia, won 42 sets in a row. They played 21 matches and she won them all in straight sets. Oh, my God. Which, and Tozia's a Grand Slam finalist. Yeah. And there wasn't even a tie break in any of those sets. So pure <laughs> Steffi Graf dominance there. Um, so I, I can't comment on Djokovic, but I stand by your your thoughts that we don't really need to see Djokovic versus Shardy ever again. Is that Matt's stat? Because if it is not, I mean, what yeah, else what's you Matt's got? Matt's stat going to be? Well, no, I've got another one for the newsletter. I wasted that really? one. I put it on Twitter and then I had to find another one for the newsletter. Never a waste, Matt. Never a waste. Uh, I didn't. I didn't see loads of it, but Djokovic looked very, very good. Very good indeed. Um, he now plays Francis Tiafo, which could be interesting. Tiafo had his uh, breakthrough at the Australian Open, didn't he? First quarter final of a slam. Um, Riley Pelka, David, just let you know, won today. Also Phew. lurking, looking oh, dangerous in that part Excellent. of the draw. Is he still I don't know if he's looking dangerous. He's definitely looking tall. Right. <laughs> good. <laughs> He's yeah. also added the beard as well, which I think really adds to the look. I'll do a daily Apelka watch for you. Cool. Or a bi-daily yeah, Every Apelka other daily. Watch. Yeah. Um, lurking in Djokovic's half of the draw, I don't think that really works, does it, uh, is Nick Kyrgios. He won in straight sets today over a man with the initials FFS. We've learned his first name. Uh, Federico Ferreira Silva. Have I got that right? You have. Great. Um, Nick Kyrgios, it wasn't without its moments. I thought he got quite tight in that third set as he was approaching the the finish line and he was doing doing the stuff that he does in order to try and loosen himself up. But in the second set, he lost just two points on serve in Mm. the whole set. You know, when he was purring and he was loose, he was fantastic. The undulations in his mood, disposition, tennis, attitude, behavior were just extraordinary, to be quite honest. Um, I mean, they shouldn't be because how many times have we watched the guy? But I still came along um, and sat down and I told you the the other day that I'm just not – I was thinking I just could do without Nick Kyrgios to circus. I don't know whether I'm going to get engaged in this. He immediately gets broken for two love by Ferreira Silva, who's never played a Grand Slam match in his life before, 25 years of age from Portugal, and he's suddenly out there playing like Rod Laver, you know, just sort of swiping these winners left, right, and centre. And Kyrgios is kind of trying to absorb these shots and just feel him out and see what he's got and then realises he's two love down. Third game of the match, 
lasted lasted 20 minutes. There were 10 juices. Kyrgios had eight break points and finally broke. But the, the aggro yep. that he was causing in that third game, I mean, he told his girl – he told somebody's girlfriend in his support team to leave – <laughs> in the middle of the third game. The Don't theory is that done. it wasn't his own girlfriend. No, no, it wasn't his own girlfriend. It was to t- tell your girlfriend to leave to, to somebody in his box. Um, and, uh, yeah, he was just getting really wound up. He was swearing. And you're thinking, oh, no, it looks like the wheels are coming off here. And it's only th- three games in. We've had a half an hour. And then suddenly it's like a storm that just blows out and it's gone. And everything's calm. He's fine. He's suddenly charming. He's nice to ball kids. He's nice to the man who brings him a bottle of water. He's applauding his opponent's shots. He asks his opponent in that third set whether he can have his towel because he hasn't used it. Yes, of course, you can have a towel. It's just you don't know where where you are in these Kyrgios matches. But, well, I guess I've just forgotten what it's like because nothing's changed, really. Mats Volander said if he can keep his matches to three sets, he's a threat. Big He's if, got isn't it? Ugo Umber next. He's got Ugo Umber um, next, and I'd be very surprised if that is a straight sets match yeah. Umber can play. He said uh, it felt normal, to be honest. He was asked kind of about the, the depleted crowd out in the John Kane Arena. He said the crowd here was going nuts, um, and they were. It was, a, it was a thin crowd, frankly. That definitely wasn't capacity even the you know the reduced capacity that they were they're allowed nowhere near it but they you know they were putting a shift in the crowd that were there um he rated his own performance as pretty average um this was all in the on-court interview um just before which he or actually just after which i think he you know he was asked to write do the writing on the camera thing and he thought about it long and hard. That is that is a drill in the background. That is going to ask. This doesn't either happen that, when we're on site, does it? Either that or you're hungry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is my neighbours having some work done. Um, we thought he'd written Miss You Muzzer on the camera, which he might well have done. Or it might have been Miss You Chorizo. Um, relatable. All of that's relatable. Or some hypothesise that it was Miss You Chizzer which is a reference to his girlfriend, Kiara, or Chiara, um, who I believe is at home in Canberra. Um, There's been some stuff about them in the tabloids the past few days. Apparently, they've deleted all pictures of one another on Instagram, and she posted something cryptic about people cheating. Um, So it could have been something to do with that. I don't know. But he wrote something which we're all very interested in on the camera. And then... After the match, in the press conference, he was asked about, I think, what we can now call a saga with Novak Djokovic. Can we call it a saga? Have we got any I mean, other names for it? Basically, it's like the playground when you say, so-and-so's been talking about you. What do you think? Yeah. And they go, well, I, I think he's an absolute... That's toe, basically toe what rag. Is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Here is that I think he's an absolute toe rag quote from Nick Kyrgios, uh, who was asked about what Novak Djokovic had had to say about him. Of course, Novak Djokovic was responding to Nick Kyrgios calling him a tool. Um, yeah, uh, we could we could go further back, but I'll leave it there. This is what Nick Kyrgios had to say today. He said, it's, it's a strange one for me because I read his comments. He said he doesn't respect me off the court. I'm like... It actually would make complete sense to me if he was like, look, I don't respect the guy on the court because I understand if he doesn't agree with some of my antics on the court that I've done in the past. 
And when we've played matches, I think I've actually been pretty good towards him. But I'm not quite sure how he can't respect me off the court. I feel like I've gone about things extremely well, especially during the pandemic. I was... I mean, I was driving around delivering food to people during the pandemic that didn't or couldn't get the supplies. I was extremely careful about what I was doing. I didn't want to spread the virus to anyone. Now I'm actually trying to donate meal kits to people that need food and I have my foundation. So it's very strange to me as to why he would say he doesn't respect me off the court. I actually do a lot off the court. But yeah, he's a very strange cat, Novak is. Heck of a tennis player. But unfortunately, someone that's partying with his shirt off during a global pandemic. I don't know if I can take any slack from that man. That's as bad as it gets for me. <laughs> I mean, look, everyone's got their red lines. And um, that's Kyrgios's. And the gloves are off. And if there is a tennis god, he will make it to the semifinals. I mean, he won't. But Well, I think Dominic Team might have something to say about yeah. that in round three. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, that's not going to happen. We're not even going to attempt to get excited about it. But... Oh, wouldn't it be? And then and then those quotes were put to Djokovic in his press conference. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and how did that go? He had absolutely no intention of getting involved with it whatsoever. He, Boo! He, he just said no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that is disappointing, but maybe the bear will be prodded further in future press conferences. Um, a few other results for you from the men's side. Results, news, points of note. Um, Alexander Zverev won today. He beat Marcos Giron in four sets. I didn't see any of the match. It was very much in the depths of the night. There was a spectacular racket smash, which I have seen, which I think was subsequent to him losing the set that he lost before going on to win. Um I don't think any of us saw any of that much, did we, to, to comment on, on the tennis? Um, I, saw, I saw a few bits um, and, and I heard a little bit of the commentary. Um, Roger Rashid was on commentary and there, there was, the sense seemed to be that Zverev was really struggling to find his game and was really lacking confidence. I mean, and I'm sure his opponent was playing well, but my sense was that the, there were he was just trying to hang around long enough because he could have gone two sets to love down. Um, and then the scoreline got easier. So I think probably he did find his way. He was wearing um, an item of clothing provided for him, presumably by his kit sponsor, which which has a, a nickname, pretty well-known nickname the, the, in certain parts of the world, certainly in the UK, I think in the US as well. Uh, I'm not going to say the nickname because it's pretty horrible, really, but it is well-known um, and still used in some circles. And... Given that nickname, it feels like a pretty stupid decision to be wearing that item of clothing. Also, he looked pretty silly in it, I thought. It was a sleeveless <laughs> shirt, wasn't it? It's a vest, basically. Yeah. It's a Nadal-type vest. and I mean, Not Nadal-type biceps. No. Well, physically, I mean, it, I'm trying to think of other... It was, remember when early Del Potro wore one of those and he didn't really have the arms for it then, but he obviously filled out eventually. Um, and and I remember once um, Grigor Dimitrov tried to wear one and he looked ridiculous. There are not many that can pull it off, to be honest, and Zverev absolutely doesn't have the physique for it. And as you say, I mean, a lot of people, the moment they saw him, thought what... Well, 
of that nickname and given all the context of of his last six or eight months um, and the allegations made against him, it just seemed unwise at the very least. Mm. And aside from that, you know, this is somebody that, I mean, he's had his fingers burned with statement outfits before. The baseball kit with knee-high socks lives long in my mind, mm. that US Open when he, he lost in the second round, I think. Um, I don't know. Just, just wear a T-shirt and shorts, mate. Yeah. Stay low-key and win, win <laughs> tennis matches. A um, couple of other quick bits from the men's side. Uh, correction from yesterday. Uh, it was a Pedro, not a Jao Souza, that Stan Wawrinka was playing. So apologies to Jao Souza for being mistaken the, for somebody that lost today in straight sets to Stan there's Wawrinka. Two, there's two tennis playing Jao Souza as yes. well, isn't there? Yeah. It doesn't help. Is there? Different yes. spelling, though. One Sousa. is Brazilian and one with an S and one, one with a Z. Yeah, one's Correct. Brazilian, one's Portuguese. This was neither of them. This was Pedro, and he's out of the tournament for Vrinka. Warinka, sorry. I'm really trying. Warinka <laughs> won in straight sets. And uh, a, f- a final note from the, the men's draw, a really a really heart-wrenching one, actually. Guillermo Fis lost overnight to Rui the Finnish player, who's sort of slowly slowly making inroads into the game um five set match really close uh came to press afterwards he hasn't won a match since covid hit since tennis's hiatus um i remember i commentated on his loss in the first round of the french open and look you can understand why gail feast without crowds just it doesn't work i mean there was some crowds i think for his match today but very few it was on one of the smaller courts and, and outside court um, attendance is not good because um, ticket holders can't mingle in the same way that they usually would be able to. They're dis- they're restricted to, to designated areas. Um, and he comes into press afterwards and he's he's asked, this is this is in French, about you know, how he's how he's keeping his head up, how he's trying to stay positive in spite of these results and everything that's going on. You know, this is the guy that's just spent two weeks in quarantine in order to to lose in a in a first round. Now he's gonna have to head home. That's that's really rough. And his opportunities to have runs at slams are you know, they're limited. They're limited. I hope he'll mm. be around for a number of years more, but the the their days are numbered for sure. Um and uh, he said, it, "He said it's my mum." And then he, and then he really choked up, sort of hid his face from the camera, really choked up, and said, "She just tells me to keep on going, to to stay positive and keep on going." But he's sort of saying it through through tears, and it's it's something. It's not that you don't see emotion from Monfils, but you don't necessarily always see that kind of emotion. You don't see that sort of revelation of how much he cares and how much losses might get to him um and he says it in that beautiful crisp french with his lovely softly spoken voice and i just oh i i welled up a bit yeah yeah Mm. yeah i went watching that and i oh i really wish him well i i feel like i i wasn't really aware that he'd had so many struggles to be honest and but then my mind goes back to at the end of last year when he he, he made some and and going to be live at such and such a time and we all thought oh is he going to announce his retirement and then he very quickly said no no it's not that i just want to tell you what my plans are um but i i, I agree with you because he is such a sh- 
shot maker and a flashy kind of showboater, but in a really, I don't mean that in a critical way, just such a happy way on court. He brings happiness to the court. He makes everybody feel good. You almost feel like he's not that bothered. You know, mm. he's, it's like he wants to win, but if it doesn't happen, that's all right. Well, I think that this showed that there's more to him than that. And, um, yeah, quite a revelation, really, to me. Mm. Yeah, wish him well. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in, being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times. Well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Going back then to where I intended to start the podcast, which was all of, what is it now, 15 hours ago that the tournament started, Rod Laver Arena, Naomi Osaka, the former champion, first to step out onto it in seemingly uh, what looked like a very tricky first round match against the former quarterfinalist Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova, uh, 6-1-6-2 for Osaka, the first winner of the tournament, she said. She said after the match on the court that um, it has been a bit of a struggle to recover from quarantine. She said everyone's bodies are a bit shocked. Um, she didn't look it. She, oh, she looked brilliant. I thought. Yeah, the first winner of the tournament and the favourite to be the last winner of the tournament, um, despite the draw. Yeah, mm. and playing like that, you you realise why she says she likes a tough draw. Because, as you said, that is a dangerous opponent in the first round. Pavlyuchenkova, three-time quarter-finalist in Australia, three of the last four years. She loves those conditions, always plays well well there, always starts the season well. And she didn't have a chance to get going today. By the time she got going, she was a set and a breakdown. 
because Osaka was blisteringly good, you know, firing winners into the corners, moving into her shots with such power and purpose and just so controlled and measured and just a real statement performance, which was kind of the um, the theme of the first few hours of today's play. It was the leading contenders, many of them playing quite early in the women's draw and basically all of them looking looking excellent. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good point. Um, Serena uh, was second out onto the Rod Laver Arena. She beat Laura Siegmund 6-1-6-1 in 56 minutes. She lost serve in her opening game and then won 12 of the next 13. Uh, she was, say that? She was oh. also very, very good. Yes, yes, I saw that. And um, it was strange because... She came onto court just as Venus was finishing on on another court, and which will never get old. No, just just perfect, perfect imagery of one Williams sister winning and the other one starting. I, I had the two screens lined up, and it was a lovely moment. And Serena came out, and she had a tracksuit on, and then she unveiled her kit, which was a one legged catsuit in all sorts of colors pink and black you know it's really vibrant really striking and it was the sort of kit unveiling that would have probably drawn all sorts of gasps and ooze and reaction from a crowd and yet because there weren't that many people in the stadium it felt a little bit flat in the stadium I mean obviously social media was was on fire with this kit but it then prompted this slow start from Serena. I mean, it was none of it quite matched up. This really, this really statement kit, and then a really flat opening game. And I and I did think, oh my goodness, is this going to be one of those performances? Because Siegmund is tricky. She can be a she can be a tricky customer. She's she's not afraid to get in your face a little bit. And I thought we could be in for a, you know a, a little bit. Of, a, of an interesting match here. And then I couldn't have been more wrong because suddenly Serena clicked into gear and was impeccable. The The thing which is standing out for me with Serena these last few matches is her movement. She is getting to the ball faster than I have seen her get to the ball in quite a long time. And that mm. just allows her to hit the shots she wants to hit. She was, she was brilliant, absolutely, absolutely devastatingly good. She described her own performance as vintage Serena. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That that's really quite a statement mm. because she sounds confident. She sounds like she's playing confidently and she sounds confident in her own self as well. Um I mean she needs to be in that half of the draw. Um, I mean vintage Serena is 23 grand slams. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. It's that's, that's exciting. And I, I I didn't see it, but but I mean the the scoreline itself. I agree with you. When I saw Laura Sigmund, I thought, oh, you know, that could be tricky, and she's made it anything but. And we've theorised, I think, in the past about Australia perhaps providing the conditions for Serena to feel a little bit less stressed at a Grand Slam. She doesn't have all the history that she has at the U.S. Open, and she seems incredibly relaxed to me over this over this last week or so and I think that's I think that's a good sign for her I don't know how many of the um, predictions entrants that 
that we have uh, this year, Matt. I don't know how many of their predictions you've glanced over, but are you able to tell me roughly what proportion, if any, have gone for Serena as the winner? Let's let's revisit that question tomorrow when I have properly glanced <laughs> over the predictions. But I, I know that none of us have, and Pam Shriver hasn't. Yeah, and, and what I do know is we also do some year-long predictions, and one of the questions in that was, do you agree or disagree with the statement that Serena will not win a Grand Slam title this year? And the last time I saw that figure, it was about 80% saying they agreed. They didn't think she would win a slam wow. this year. That's out of roughly I, I, 50 or 60 people. I said she would win one. I'm, I'm fairly sure that's contradicting something I've said previously. <laughs> <laughs> He's hedging. Always flipping hedging, David. I don't, just, it's just on the moment. I see you. I see well, you. Well, are we allowed to reveal what predictions we've gone for? for this I think we'll sort of drip feed them rather okay. than do a... Well, I may or may not letter. have just um, brazenly copied Pam Shriver. <laughs> <laughs> subconsciously yeah yeah to- totally not intentional uh she now plays some somebody called nina stoyanovic does serena williams don't know a whole lot about stoyanovic but good luck if it's vintage serena good luck nina i've um, got serena in my semis be- being beaten by osaka yes so do i same yes and, and i think so does pam my predictions are worryingly similar to david's oh. hey I'm going to be, um, I feel quite relieved. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> uh, Venus, Venus Williams, incidentally, uh, beat Kirsten Flipkins. She was, she was good, was Venus. I saw quite a bit of that. She plays Sara Irani next. That's vintage, isn't it? Venus Williams against Sara Irani. Irani beat um, Pat Cash's uh, mm, new Chong Wong, he's yeah. Catching. It was a really tight match, actually. That sounds the wrong way around, doesn't it? Because, I mean, she's a cracking player who beat Serena Williams yeah. last year. She's coached by Pat Cash, is what I meant to say, uh, is what <laughs> I should be saying. But um, Wong Chung, I mean, and, and actually we had Pat briefly on the radio with us and he was just gutted for her because she'd oh. got the lead and she was. it looked like she was going to win and didn't quite get over the line. There's so many of those, aren't there? I mean, and we—I always think that about qualifying tournaments. If you just walked around, you've got all these little storylines and these lives being affected by what goes on in an hour and a half or two hours. Oh, what a sport! <laughs> the biggest, biggest name, the biggest seed uh, to go out on day one was Angelique Kerber, the former champion. Of course, she lost six love, six four to Bernarda Pera. It's the first time since. 2015 that Kerber hasn't reached the second week of the Australian Open. Now, Angelique Kerber was one of those that experienced a hard quarantine. She was on one of those affected flights. She did play in the hard quarantine cup and and she did all right in it. Quarterfinals, I think. Um, yeah, I think she beat Jabur. That was she the beat one Jabur that and we were saying, out. yeah, um, we were saying, oh, you know, she's flying under the radar and that's where she likes to be. She was asked in, in press afterwards, do you think the hard lockdown and lack of preparation impacted your play at all? She said, definitely yes. I mean, of course, I was really trying to stay positive and doing the best things out of the two-week situation. But of course, you feel it, especially if you play a real match where it counts and you play the first match in a Grand Slam against an opponent who doesn't stay in the hard lockdown. I was feeling this at the beginning that, of course, my balls are always a little bit out 
and I was not feeling the rhythm that I was before the two weeks, to be honest. That's for sure. I mean, what can I do? I tried to get the best out of it. Of course, you feel it if you're not hitting balls two weeks and you're not in the rhythm. Um, Ben Rothenberg pointed out on Twitter that uh, like Kerber, the 24th seed Alison Risk was also uh, one that had to do the 14-day hard quarantine uh, and she fell in the first round today, 6-2-6-1 to the world number 101, uh, Anastasia Potapova. Um, but... Sorry, just a quick word on Kerber because mm. because I watched that because, I mean, the scoreline was just so so dramatic. I was just drawn to that match. I wanted to see what, what was going on. And there was a point where Perra had won eight games and Kerber had won eight points. That was oh that was God. how large the discrepancy was between them. And wow. Kerber Kerber taking some heavy losses in slams is not is not totally new. If you if if you think back quite recently, she's she's had some heavy defeats. She lost to Collins at the Australian Open a couple of years ago. Jennifer Brady really took her apart at the US Open last year. And I think Potapova actually did did similar at the French Open. But this was something else. She was so flat in those in those first forty five minutes, probably, and then eventually did manage to put up some resistance and look like she might fight back. She had three break points in the final game of the match to get that second set level. But I mean, ultimately, Perra, credit to her, she was she was firing winners all over the court. She's she's got such a flat hit, a big lefty lefty forehand, and. Um, she sort of took advantage, I think, of, of of Kerber being being not quite ready for this tournament. So you might be thinking, those hard quarantiners, they don't stand a chance. But tell that to Bianca Andreescu, because she is back. Uh, she beat Mihaela Buzanescu 6-2-4-6-6-3 on the John Kane Arena. It all, I tuned into this. Uh, in the middle of the night with Andrescu having won the first set, it all looked to be going a dream. I was just thinking, oh my goodness, what a joy to be watching Andrescu just just playing tennis. It really made my heart sing. And then it turned out even more pleasing than that was watching Bianca Andrescu with her back against the wall, having to fight her way out of a really tricky spot. She lost the second set and it was... It was seriously dicey, Matt. I think you also watched this. It was seriously dicey there for her at the start of the third, wasn't it? She really had to draw upon, and she talked about this in the press conference afterwards, how she was actively thinking back to all those situations in tournaments that she's won where she had her back against the wall and she somehow found a way out of it. She was actively drawing on that memory bank. Yeah, and one of the things she said in her pre-tournament press conference was how when she was in quarantine last year, she found herself watching videos of herself, you know, from 2019. Which is what Pam Shriver advised to do, advised people to do with their quarantine time, isn't it? Absolutely. And um, I mean, I don't think I've released so many endorphins as I did during, <laughs> during that Andrescu match in a long time. I just had this, I was just I was just smiling the whole time. Yeah, was, I was I was giddy. I was overwhelmed with joy. I mean, just just to see her walking on the court, as Andrew pointed out, not with any tape on her whatsoever. The first time I've seen her without any tape, probably ever. And she was wearing purple, which was what she was wearing when she won 
the U.S. Open. It just brought back. Oh, don't match. It just brought <laughs> back everything, and I was I was so happy. And and the whole match was a journey of rediscovery about what makes Andrescu so good and so thrilling to watch as a tennis player. Because, as you said at the start of the set, she was pulling out all the shots. She had it all going on. She was hitting the big forehands. She was using her slice. And then Buzanescu started to get into the match and really made it competitive. And then suddenly you saw the competitive instincts of Andrescu kick in. And I suddenly was thinking back to all the three-set matches she won in 2019. I think she won 13 three-setters in a row that season. And there was a point in that third set where she was three all love 40 down. And I don't know what it is she's drawing on in that moment. It's, it's experience from having been there, but it's, it feels like a real inner belief that, yeah. that she has in her game. And she knows she can get herself out of holes. She trusts herself. She won those points. She let out a huge let's go and then won the match quite easily from there. And yeah, I just, I just so enjoyed that whole match and that, that feeling of, vintage Andrescu, which feels like a ridiculous thing to say, considering she's still so young and has barely played that many matches, but she does have a trademark victory. And this was Mm. kind of it. Those are the two things that I have to admit I had forgotten about with Bianca Andrescu. I'd forgotten that she wins matches that are incredibly tight. I I kind of, I don't know. I I think I'd got the way she looks and her shot making and variety in my mind as as to that is Bianca Andreescu. I'd forgotten the three set ability and I'd forgotten the on court expressiveness of suddenly out of nowhere, not in quite the way that Daniel Collins does, but in her own way, not caring a jot about who's watching or what people might think, just it coming out and her shouting, Let's go in that way. And it made me smile as well. I agree. Uh, we 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 were really it was the moment i think that i saw this sharing of generations of all these players because we've had these ins and outs over the last 2 or 3 years where somebody's been back and serena's not been there and somebody's come through and then they've got injured and then suddenly azarenka's managed to make a comeback last year but bianca andrescu doesn't really exist as a tennis player at that time and then Igor fiontek wins the, the French Open, and now here they all are at the same time. Ash Barty had been out for a year because of the pandemic. You know, it's I'm so happy. I, I don't wish any ill on Mihaela Bozanescu because she's a really good player and, and she put up a good fight today. But I'm so happy that Andrescu won because the tournament is ri- enriched by her presence and with all of these players together, just for, just for however long it lasts in this tournament – it's a real thrill. Yeah, it's like Avengers Assemble, isn't mm, it? I was just thinking <laughs> that. <laughs> I mean, I haven't actually seen that film, but the, the title gives me the the, the gist. Um, she she said Andrescu in her press conference afterwards, which was also just a joy. You, you know, she was just exuding something that was completely infectious. She said uh, that she said last night I was super super nervous to come back. She never says super once always super, super. Uh, she said, last night I was super, super nervous to come back and overwhelmed about everything. She said, I did I did cry, actually. I'm not afraid to say that. It was a release for me of all the stuff from the last 15 months. I'm super, super relieved to win. 
There were some ups and downs in the match attitude-wise. What can I say? Um, she said, those kind of matches are super good for me. Oh, just one super. Super good for me because it shows me I can scramble when I need to, when my back is against the wall. Um, so, yeah. I, I You know, I saw part of me wants to see her just sort of safely progress through the tournament as far as she possibly can. And part of me wants to see that Andrescu back against the wall grit I mean, as much I, as possible. I, I kind of feel like let's be realistic. She's not going to go very far. You know, uh, if she wins a match or two, that that that's probably as much as we can expect. And then I remember this is a player who's only played about four tournaments in her whole life, and she's just won them all. You know, I don't. I, I think I've only ever seen her lose one match as the, that I can remember that she's finished. So. And with, without her wearing any tape and with this innate ability to just play the sport, to, it's not about playing a way in or anything like that or experience. She's just an incredible tennis player, both in terms of talent, court craft, understanding. She's, she's just got it. And so don't want to put limits on her. And, what, and what's the match? There's a match coming up in a round or two. Shay. That, that's the Shay next. And then isn't there a blockbuster on the horizon if she were to get through that one? I think I think she would play Osaka in the quarters if if she can get that's, there. That's not the horizon. Um, <laughs> no, maybe not. <laughs> I'm thinking of Venus Williams. She's if she can get through the next one, um, it would be yeah, it would be Venus Williams in the next round for uh, for in the third round for Bianca Andreescu. And yes, she, uh, quite quite a result actually by by the way that Shea has beaten Peronkova. Mm, yeah, yeah, um, and just just on these expectations of Andrescu I think we've all wrestled with our expectations of her and something I found interesting in her press conference as well is she's having those own thoughts about herself it really strikes me that she has high expectations because she knows she's good check me out (laughs) but she's also tempering them because she knows it's her first tournament back for 15 months and that must be a, a, a quite a difficult balance to strike. But I thought she did that really well in the match today mm. when her level did drop a little bit in that second set. And when it did get tight, she just competed harder. And I mean, that is her natural instinct, isn't it? And I think that will bode well for her while she grapples with this expectation that she's got of herself at the moment. Iga Sriantek won. She beat Arantxa Rus 6-1, 6-3. She now plays Camilla Georgie, uh, Halep won 6-2, 6-1. Uh, she only needed an hour to beat the Australian Lizette Cabrera. Um, an incredible moment, incidentally, for, for Cabrera playing on the Rod Laver Arena. They opened the night session um, and Cabrera, a young player, her father died um, in September of last year. Um, terribly sad story. He was very involved with her career. It was a dream of his to see her play on the Rod Laver Arena. She um, had returned from playing some ITF events internationally and was in quarantine while he was ill and she was granted a special exemption to visit her her dad in, in his last days of life. Um, during that quarantine period, um, I know uh, lots of reporting that Tennis Australia were very instrumental in in getting that um, exemption for her for a couple of hours a day. So, an extraordinary and heart wrenching story. But on the on the Halep front, I mean, let's table all all thoughts of Halep being injured because <laughs> she wasn't. She was moving like a dream, 
And it makes me wonder if that loss she suffered last week was a strategic performance, perhaps, given how many withdrawals we ended up seeing from those top, top players at at the tournament last week. Uh, look, I, I don't know. I do, um, I do think that she, she was in the frame of mind that when she got the back twinge of whatever it was, she made a pretty swift decision or she subconsciously thought, um, I won't be... Mm pushing every sinew here trying to yeah, win this that's, match. Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah, really. Yeah. Um, and for these top players, those those competitive juices, that extra 0.2% of it really mattering is, you know, it's fine margins, isn't it? Um, few other bits and bobs. Katie Bolter lost pretty handily, actually, to Daria Kazakina. Look, I know is very good. She's been close to the top 10 before, but... Um, I think Katie Bolter will be gutted with that. Um, yeah, she given said, how she well said she afterwards was she was she was quite critical of herself, but dis, but in a sort of disappointed way. Just said she never felt balanced and comfortable on the court. You know, I think I think some to some degree, Kasatkina can do that to you when she plays well because she's different. And Bolter was saying that, but I also think it's the pressure of the moment. It means so much, and then you build up and build up, and then suddenly you get out there and you. You just don't feel right, and it must be horrible. Mm. Yeah, Bolter was saying she put way too much pressure on herself because it was a grand slam compared to how she was feeling last week. She was so relaxed. She was playing great. Got That probably got her own expectations up. And, yeah, I mean, by her own admission, it was a, it was a bad performance today. And, incidentally, she's hanging around in Australia because there's another WTA event next week. <laughs> And she's entered that, but she doesn't know whether she's going to get in it yet because I think it depends how many people sort of higher rank than her lose in the Australian Open. So um, she she's hanging on in Australia for a bit longer, which must also be a little bit sort of tough to in terms of how, how do you get over a loss when you don't don't really know mm. what you're doing next. And it might end up incurring uh, traveling back to the UK. Um, there is mm. hotel quarantine coming in for most countries in the Middle East in on the fourteenth, I think, of February. Um, so that'll mean if you if you travel back from Australia via the Middle East, you'll end up in a ten day hotel quarantine in the UK. So there are all sorts of implications um, like that. Um, Rebecca Marino, the Canadian player, she won her first Grand Slam main draw match today in nearly ten years. She beat Kirsty Birrell, the Australian. Um, Rebecca Marino, of course, is the player that retired in 2012 after the diagnosis of clinical depression. Um, and she she made a comeback a couple of years ago, but she's she's really had to work her way up. And this is such a benchmark for her first Grand Slam main draw match. So another really uplifting story. And my f- final point on the results front is a bone to pick with Matt. Oh, yeah. Have oh, yeah. You, have you sold me a dud in Marta Kostiuk, Matt? Because I, I popped her in my quarterfinal lineup <laughs> off the back of your recommendation. And out she goes from the tournament on day one, the same way as uh, Victoria Kuzmova, who also lost 6 love, 6 4. Good work, Matt. So that what- one was to Sabalenka. So it's all part of the master plan. Right. Okay. Um, As Oasis might say. (laughs) I don't think you need to worry about Kostiuk. She was also in hard quarantine. 
Uh, I'm worrying about myself, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need her to do well in two years. I needed her to do well this fortnight. That is on you. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, you are very careful these days not to put a time frame on your your predictions of that nature. Yeah. Anyway. I I couldn't even tweet, don't at me, when I saw... (laughs) Cosmova losing six love, two love before people had already done it. <laughs> Goodness sake. At least she wasn't the first one to lose. Well, only because she tournament. was scheduled almost last. <laughs> right. So that double is specialist. day one. Day one dealt with. Yes, she won a doubles tournament last week and we didn't even no, cover it, Matt. Runner up. It was a real, real. Oh, yeah. That's, she, right. she, she sort of posted it as though she, she had won. But it. she posed. I saw the photo and it really looked like. A sort of trophy lift photo. It was the plate. That was that's really misleading. <laughs> okay, you've, well, you've got to clutch to whatever straws you've got, I suppose. Um, that is day one over with. I'm pumped for day two. I'm David Law esque pumped. Yeah, go yeah. on, Catherine. Uh, day two features defending champion uh, Sophia Kennan. She opens on Rod Laver Arena against an Australian called Inglis. Anyone know her first name? No. Madison? Oh, yep. Okay. Great. We'll take it, Matt. We'll take it. Uh, Maria Bruzkova against Alina Svitolina up next. And then Laszlo Gero up against Rafael Nadal, which normally you'd think unnotable. But I am going to try and wake up to watch some of that and see how Nadal looks. Some people speculating that he might not even take to the court, so we will watch that one closely. Ash Barty opens the night session against Danka Kovanich, and then it's uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas having his work cut out against Gilles Simon, which I think could be fun. Um, on the Yvonne Gulagong Arena, Garbinia Muguruza up against Margarita Gasparian, Victoria Azarenka against Jessica Begula, Vasek Pospisil, Andre Medvedev, and the night session... Daniel Medvedev. Who did I say? <laughs> Andre. Oh, my God. I've picked him to win as well. (laughs) Daniil Medvedev. Uh, And the night session is Anderson against Berrettini and then Sara Saribes Tormo against Daria Gavrilova. Uh, What else have we got? Goff against Teichman is on the John Kane arena and the Brits. Um, Close your ears now if you're one of the people on Twitter that's accusing us of being too Brit-centric. Uh, but Fran Jones is last on court five against Shelby Rogers. Uh, Dan Evans and Cam Norrie are last on court eight. Uh, Joe Conter against Kaya Yuvan is last on court 13. So basically, sort of at about 7am on Tuesday morning, almost all the Brits are going to be playing. That's going to be yeah. chaotic. Uh, and it's going to sound really cool on Five Live, jumping around, trying to cover all of that. And Heather Watson is second on court 10 against the other Pliskova. So that's tomorrow. Uh, just a few thank you shout outs from today. Rogue Zeus, Scousel Mousel, thanks for being our personal mascots. I think I think Rogue will take the win for for today for, for David getting that Shapovalov prediction correct. We bow Cheers, down Rogue. we thanks bow down for... to you. Dow bow oh dear. <laughs> bow down to you, David and Rogue. Yeah. Scousel inspired me. Scousel Mousel helped me get Perra over Kerber. 
in the newsletter. Did, did you, you predicted that? Yeah. Crikey. Okay. Well, let's move on from predictions. <laughs> um, not so many thanks to Zeus today, but brighter days are ahead, Zeus. Uh, Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer. Crumble is our Australian Open mascot. Let's get ready for Crumble. And our shout-outs for today, Matt, are... They are Susan Ramsey. Thanks, oh, Susan. Hello, Susan. Thank you. Like Aaron Ramsey, the footballer. Chris Ramsey, the comedian. Yeah, Gordon Alf Ramsey. Alf Ramsey, Gordon Ramsey. Ramsey Street from Neighbours. <laughs> An Australian, Australian uh, reference. link. Well done, David. Should have gone there first. Definitely should have gone there before Alf Ramsey. That was the 80s. <laughs> oh, this Neighbours is still going. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Why? yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> Carry on. Uh, Alison Clooney, but not Clooney oh, as in George Clooney. How do you know? Because it's a different spelling. Oh. Well, Alison. Sounds good, we, though. We think you're great. Yeah. Mm. Way better than George Clooney. Carry on. And finally, Owen Davis, who is our second backer this year, just pipped to number one by by the legend that is Julie. But, wow. but Owen was Owen, Owen was very quick. fast. He could Good be work, Owen. he could be a applied Cymru MP. Is it is it a Davies or a Davis? It's it's a Davies, but he he told me it's pronounced Davis. Pronounced Davis. Okay. Oh, great. Well, cheers, Owen. That is day one of the Australian Open, our first daily podcast. We're back with thirteen more. Uh, I'm pumped for them. It's going to be great. Tennis is back. There's crowds. It's all very cool. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow. 